2: And on this episode, he was the unlikely founder of an all-male stripping troupe. But when his creation is challenged, he'll let nothing stand in his way. We'll talk about the Hulu series. Welcome to Chippendales. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast. And and, and total beefcake. Sure. My husband, (laughs) Kevin Flynn. Hi, Kevin.
3: Hey, Rebecca.
2: Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Stranger Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby.
3: Hello, Rebecca.
2: Wow, this is turning out to be a pretty sexy podcast right away out of the meow. gates. Meow, meow. What was sec- I What did I miss? Uh, you purported to be a piece of beefcake right in the introduction Yeah, there. but everybody
3: knows that's a lie.
2: Yeah, we do. Okay. So, um, so Kevin, this is obviously Jesus. Monday's fine program. Obviously you are very good to say.
3: I know you were gonna say something shitty to me.
2: No, said. we're all be- No, I wasn't. We I all I was think gonna think say something beefcake-y. shitty to your
4: wife about being more reverential to her husband. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
2: We all think you're beefcakey, Kevin. I'm just all giving you crap. Right, right. Um so Kevin, this is obviously Monday's fine program. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm gonna get another I'm gonna get a really nasty review on Apple Podcasts about that. I'm gonna get another see you next Tuesday review. I oh, am God percent. For not for not being deferential enough to the men in the show. Yeah,
3: and I'm going to write that review. No. <laughs> oh,
2: fuck that. <laughs> uh, Kevin, what is coming up on Thursday's program? Well,
3: on Thursday, we're going to be talking about an interesting podcast from New York Magazine. It's season two of
2: Cover Story, hmm. Seed Money. Hmm. New York Magazine, that's the fancy one that Toby's always reading, No, right? that's
3: the New Yorker. No, the oh, other one. Oh,
2: different one. New York Magazine, that's the one that has Vulture. The one with all the blogs, with all the like best ofs.
5: Oh, could be. be. (laughs) Remember when we used to write for Vulture? Yeah, by
2: the way, um, so Nick Kwa of Vulture put out his best podcast of 2022 list, and I hated the best podcast of 2022 list. I thought it sucked. Mm -hmm. But then, for some reason, he put out a second list, best true crime podcast of 2022. Now, I happen to know that Nick Kwa claims to not listen to true crime podcasts, so I wonder about the origins of this. But thank fucking God he put out that list, because Bone Valley... Was number okay. one on that list. Well,
3: funny you should talk about that next week. Yep. We're going to be doing uh, two best of shows. On Monday, we're going to be doing our best podcast of 2022. We are. We are, and then on Thursday, we're doing the best of TV documentaries, small screen. I don't know what we're going to call it, but we're going to we're also going to pick our top tens for those best of TV. Best of TV,
2: it yeah. Is so small screen and scripted. I mean, yeah. documentary, documentary and scripted.
3: series. Yeah, was, yeah, we watched a lot of good stuff as well as listened to a lot of good stuff. So
2: Great, great. So on Monday's episode, it's just going to be us talking about Bone Valley for like 25 well, minutes? Well, probably
3: at least nine <laughs> other podcasts, too.
2: <laughs> okay, and then 20-minute discussion about Bone Valley. Cool. <laughs> anyway, so I just want to congratulate once again, Gilbert and Kelsey, for your incredible achievement. Congratulations on being number one. On Nick Qua's confounding second list, but you do deserve to be number one on both lists, in my opinion. Uh, congratulations on all the accolades that you're getting on all the best of lists of the year. And probably on at least one of our lists next week. All right. So, Kevin, I think it's time to talk about what we're going to be talking about this week. It's pretty sexy. I think we should get right to it. We to talk about what we're talking about? Yeah. How about we just talk about it? Let's do it. I'm going to drop that first clip right now.
3: Kevin. Over three million Americans play, yet no club exists in all of Los Angeles. Is This some sort of joke. Now imagine if there were an establishment where people could gather together to play in a sophisticated setting.
2: Steve Banerjee kept failing in his bid to create an upscale club in Los Angeles. His luck changed when he turned to the strip club model on its head, creating the all-male dance review for women known as Chippendales.
0: Ladies and ladies, are you ready to have the greatest night come to life. The men of
2: his new choreographer, Nick denoya elevated Chippendales with polished showmanship. But as the dance troupe attracted national attention, Nick vied for credit and control of the operation. Filled with resentment and jealousy, Steve set in motion a plan to get rid of his rival.
3: I'm going to burn that place to the ground.
0: You shouldn't do that. You're right. You are going to do it. Hulu's
2: Welcome to Chippendale stars Oscar nominee Kumail Nanjiani and Emmy winner Murray Bartlett. The drama shows how one man's American dream turned into a murderous nightmare. The limited series tells the -the behind-the-scenes tale of greed, murder, and lots of sex. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Welcome to Chippendale's so, if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Toby, how many pairs of breakaway pants do you personally own? <laughs> um,
4: yeah, not that many. <laughs>
2: do you use them for sports? I know that sounds for sports. You have breakaway pants.
4: Yeah, I mean that's usually like pro teams. Like, I I, I don't even know if like high school teams have tearaway pants. Hmm. I'm not sure that Chippendales necessarily pioneered the way for pro sports to use tearaway pants. Hmm. I'm not sure that they were the first people to have them, but that could be.
2: What do you think, Kevin? What do you think about the breakaway pants situation?
3: Oh, I think it's great.
2: Didn't you have a think... your Halloween costumes one year? Breakaway pants? Wasn't your Freddie Mercury costume for Halloween? Didn't that include those like
5: tearaway pants?
3: No, they did not.
5: Oh, I thought they did. No, they did not. I think I'm going to get some breakaway pants.
3: I think it could be fun. The only reason to have them is so that you could just like rip them off and pull them over your head and throw them. (laughs) It's not like for a convenient like, oh, you know.
2: It's like a one-time use. I feel like all the women in the audience just took them home that night. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Give that back. Give that back. He needs that for the next show. So it is tough, Kevin, because we listened to a podcast that was essentially the same story. And this TV show is not based on that podcast. Right,
3: different source material. But it's
2: essentially the same story. So do you feel like...
3: Welcome to your fantasy and welcome to Chippendale. That's pretty close. Yeah. Do you
2: feel like we are getting something new and different here? Or we're basically getting a retread of something that we've already experienced?
3: Well, I mean, I think the podcast was good because we heard from a lot of the actual people involved, including some of the dancers. Uh, They had some really colorful colorful stories, you know, about getting coke snorted off their boners and things like that. Uh, (laughs) But let's face it, this is a story that's meant to be seen and not heard. And I think that's what makes it fun. And also, when you approach a real subject like this and dramatize it, you are able to take some liberties that either can, in some ways, enhance the experience and the dramatic tension and all that. But you start to lose a bit of, you know, the realism and the historical accuracy. So it's kind of like, pick your poison. Do you want to watch something really fantastic, but also know that maybe every character in this isn't truly that and that's what they did. And it's just like, you know, trying to boil down their different motivations. But I, I, I'm enjoying what I'm getting.
2: I will tell you, some of this is not working for me as well as the podcast did. And Laura, for me, some of that stuff includes the Chippendale stuff. I actually got a better sense of the sexiness and the hunkiness and the reaction of women and the sort of headiness and the testosterone and the estrogen and the era more in the audio medium of this than I do in the visual medium. I feel like there's a clowniness to the Chippendale scenes in the show that wasn't in the podcast. And it's it goes by those scenes like very quickly and very and very cartoonishly in a way that I don't really think does merit to like why that stuff was so appealing, if that makes sense.
5: Well, yeah, especially in the early scenes where we have like men in the Chippendales lineup that are just sort of out there, like, you know, throwing themselves around and and don't really have any sort of a plan other than going out there and being like, woo, and the women are like, woo. And it was almost a little bit too removed from the intimacy and the story of the people that were actually the dancers for me. Like, I felt like I could be watching any sort of docudrama, like that was kind of already prescripted and prescribed. And there wasn't really, honestly, too much original. I mean, I did really like the cinematography of that era, you know, the setting where we get the ladies with the big hair and everybody's doing coke and the disco era and the clothes and the outfits. But that for me was kind of where it ended because then when it got into the show and these people that were involved during these Chippendale scenes, I mean, at first I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then I'm like, eh, another Chippendale scene. It didn't really do anything for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. I I don't know. Is that how you felt, Rebecca? Well, yes. And Toby made a note about this too. You know, we have some central characters here, but. None of them are the dancers.
2: Yeah. Welcome to your fantasy. The podcast sort of got into like the anthropology of the era. And it also sort of got into the men themselves and why they would do this work and into their heads a little bit. They get into that very superficially here. And some of that material is interesting. Right. Like the Otis character. We're getting this very superficial look Mm -hmm. at how he's objectified, how he's ostensibly the most valuable asset, quote, on the dancing team. But we see nothing other than this very superficial view of him. And he's the only dancer that we get any material from. So, Toby, I, I just sort of feel like the dancers and like the Chippendale scenes are very much props for these other characters in a way that like. I don't know that for me, pacing wise, like that is where so much of the interesting material could have been.
4: Yeah. You don't know anything about any of the dancers. I mean, even with Otis and he's like the odd duck out of this, right. You know, he's the only black dancer. He's the most popular one, but he's basically there. Well, I guess there's a few different things going on, but part of it is Steve's racism, right. And, and dealing with the fact that he doesn't want black people coming To it and he doesn't want a black eye in the Chippendale's calendar.
3: Well, it's one thing for women to enjoy you in the privacy of the club, but hanging in their home, a naked black man, in full view of their husband, you know how white people are? They get threatened at the office. I think people can handle a shirtless black man, Steve. Most can, but not all. We want them to buy the calendars too.
4: So I guess that's part of it, but it's weird if you're supposed to like be able to think of Otis as, like, a real character. Like, you have no sense of what's his deal. Like, he supposedly has a family and kids, but he's out every night doing all this stuff. Well, how does we that affect his them. Yep. home life? Where does he come from? You know, he seems ambitious, but that's basically just played off as, like, a very quick little uh, power struggle
3: thing. He's a composite, um, by the way. There was no Otis Yeah, yet. yeah. But there was a black dancer who got, you know, left out of the calendar. He ended up like starting his own male strip club but with black entertainers. I don't know if that's what's going to happen to Otis, but I just wanted to throw that out there as far as whatever we get from Otis, the character is all, is all fictional. I remember
4: it. But there's no specificity. Like, even if you're doing a composite, you can take like some specific things from these different people. I agree. Yeah. And then the white dancers, it's just like,
3: you don't even know a name
4: of one of them. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're just interchangeable. They're just
5: humping people on the wall. Yeah.
4: Except for, Uh, the Funkenstein or whatever. We don't even
5: get
2: him and I think in the the podcast he was a major character because he was the perfect man, right? He was that guy Yeah. and in this show he is the composite of the perfect man guy Mm -hmm. who was in that routine and I I do feel like there was real material here And and we're doing a scripted version of a real story why vary from the real characters when we're also telling stories of real characters in the foreground? Why not also fictionalize the dancers real characters in the background, at least a little bit closer, because we're spending a lot of time on people in small scenes that actually don't matter a lot, that they don't really advance the plot
5: a lot. Like Banerjee's wife doing coke. Like that's a whole scene. I actually actually did. I mean, I liked that scene. I did like that scene. But 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 why are we getting that with the other people? Like we're only
2: getting that with the central people. Like that would be a fun. You know what I mean?
5: Yeah, that would have been fun. Instead, it's like as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of these dancers. They're almost like the Ken dolls of this show where they're just like, here's the Ken dolls. And they're all just over here as like placeholders, really.
2: Yeah. One thing that really surprised me, Kevin, that I want to ask you about that I also know Toby wants to talk about mm-hmm. is how quickly they get through the Dorothy Stratton murder. Right. With no, it just happens. And then like there's no discussion about it. There's no fallout. It's like there's this central character, these two central characters. They both end up dead. The guy ends up murdering Dorothy Stratton. And then like, that's it. That's the end of the episode. And then like, poof. Shut up, Paul.
3: Where's your audition? Hmm? This bungalow at the Beverly Hills Hotel. No way. We'll be in a chalet in the south of France. That's the move. Fucking smooth, fucker.
5: Why can't you ever be happy for me?
3: I just say what I see. What? Right? Just calling it like it is. Fuck off. I'm not quite certain in real life how important Paul and Dorothy was. I mean, Paul was the club promoter that got the word of mouth going. I mean, as much as you could get Gabe Kaplan from Welcome Back, Cotter, to show up at, <laughs> at Chippendales to play backgammon or whatever the hell that was all about. But yeah, as far as like important historical footnotes in the story, they were there. And so to sort of take this whole first episode and kind of make them important supporting characters. I mean, I guess, yeah, Dorothy came up with sort of the the look, you know, borrowed from the Playboy Bunny, which she knew. But Maybe Toby adds more about this. I I feel like, you know, it was important for them to be there, but I don't really know in the big scheme of things how important these characters were to the story of Chippendales, the history of Chippendales.
2: Right. But writing wise, this is a question I had, Toby, because, you know, whether or not they were really critical and attached or not, there was an opportunity there in this visual medium to connect that story, at least like in a thematic sense to like the larger themes of jealousy and tension between rivals and like, you know, there was obviously this like sexual jealousy and like real tumultuous, abusive relationship between those two, you know, with Paul toward Dorothy. And then that ultimately is kind of what develops between Steve and Nick. And I think there was an opportunity there to at least write something a little bit more meaningful if you're going to include it, if that makes sense.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, You know, if it was me, I think you show all that just sort of through Steve's eyes. Like, these are the people he sort of gets in bed with at the very beginning, and he sees the way they behave, and it's super sketchy, and it's controlling, and all these things. And maybe you have a chance to see what his reactions are, what does he learn from it, what does he want to avoid or, or take on, or whatever, I mean, there's some thematic stuff. I mean, it was just kind of weird. Like, it, it felt like they were ticking a box with that to me. It's just like, oh, yeah, these guys were in it. Dorothy Stratton's like, people know her. We can check that off. It seemed weird. When it was over, I was like, huh. Like, I wonder how that's going to play out. Yeah. Like, and then it just doesn't. It's literally like the first three minutes of the next episode is him being kind of bummed. And then it's like, well, you know, the show goes on. Um, <laughs> show goes-
5: I guess our friends are dead now. Yeah. So if if you left this podcast, Toby, I'd be sad for more than like three minutes. Yeah, me too. Mm
2: -hmm.
5: Me too. If it makes makes you guys feel any better,
2: I'd be sad for a really long time. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, thanks. Super long time.
4: Um, I'd get over it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so
2: so Kevin I want to talk about our cast in just a minute yeah. um, and, and I really definitely want to talk about some other performances here especially Murray Bartlett and Juliette Lewis but first I do want to take a quick break and get through some business
3: oh okay has this gotten too steamy for you no okay. it's not
2: Ooh. it has not actually connected with me and gotten steamy at all so I think it's time to do some perfunctory business just like the show does so okay. can you tell us what's happening on our Patreon right now
3: yeah on Patreon we're going to start a very upscale uh, backgammon club really yeah.
2: everybody's. I'm sure it's, it's going to be very popular.
3: Yeah, it's called Destiny 2. A back game and podcast would be awesome. Oh, my God. You can hear, with the sound effects would be great. You have like all this rolling the dice yeah. and moving the pieces and all that. Lots then, of foley. Yeah, and then, like, swearing when you lose. Uh, Even
2: Othello, that game, Othello the podcast, just, like, oh yeah. flipping the tiles oh, over. Oh,
3: yeah, sure. <laughs> Sure. Well, we also. Oh, oh the,
2: the board game Sorry would be a fucking awesome podcast. With the pop bubble? Yes. And then, like, the person That's gets. Trouble to the, has
3: the pop bubble. No, yeah.
2: Sorry is the one where you get all the way yeah. to the end, and then, like, you could lose if and go all the way back to the beginning.
3: Yeah, if your right? thing yeah. lands on somebody else. Yes. Yeah. And then it's
2: like, Sorry, like, I hate you, you're a loser, and you go all the way back to the beginning. And it's like all the progress. Oh, Henry made. had a
3: meltdown in second grade yes, playing that. Yes, he did.
2: Yes. <laughs> oh, Henry. Sorry. <laughs> Amazing podcast. Sorry, I guess I'm going to murder you guys now. Anyway. Uh, Go ahead.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, well, what we actually have in our Patreon is the Crime Writers on After Show. Tonight, we're going to be talking about our reactions to the finale of White Lotus. Hell yeah. Last week when we did it, we hadn't seen the finale. We did play Fuck, Mary Kill, which brought out a lot of interesting (laughs) things about the panelists, but we're just going to kind of go over and figure out, you know, what we thought about the way it ended. Hell yeah. We had some predictions (laughs) and we were...
2: You you talked me out of my prediction, by the way.
3: Yeah, well. Fuck you. I said the patriarchy would win. I was right (laughs) that way. Also want to let our patrons know that we're having our annual Crime Writers On virtual holiday party again. It's Tuesday night, uh, 8 o'clock. Just log on. Come join the party. We're going to have our own uh, merriment. So bring your eggnog or your other holiday spirit. I'm bringing
2: deviled eggs. Just kidding. I love deviled eggs. I'm not bringing deviled eggs.
3: Oh, my goodness. So we also have behind our uh, paywall there at Patreon, you go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Over 300 episodes of the Crime Writers on After Show, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Married with podcast and a new episode of Leave it to Bricker that Laura is working on. What's it about, Lara? Laura.
5: I am going to be learning to make ice cream with Chef Paul and Parsons, my favorite chefs at the wine bar in Exeter. And we might also talk about, during the ice cream making, my recent excursion to the Bleep Bleep Spa. Nice. Nah. There's something for everyone in this Leave it to Bricker. Very nice. Yeah.
3: Speaking of G-strings. Nice. Nice. <laughs>
5: All right, Kevin, uh, is there anything
2: you want to say about our newsletter before we wrap for the business section?
3: Oh, yeah. Please sign up for our free newsletter. Go to CrimeWritersOn.com. Put in your email address on Thursday. You'll get a free newsletter. First of all, you're going to find out what your homework is for the That's coming crazy. week. Correct. Plus, you also get information like Crime Writers On behind the scenes. Amazing and you photos. You get to see photos of the cat of the week and the tweet of the week and also Crime Writers On merch just in time for Christmas. Get yourself a T-shirt it uh, would be great.
2: You get to see amazing photos of us doing things. Yeah. Like you got to see a photo a couple weeks ago of Toby's wound on his head from when he hurt himself playing soccer. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes you get photos of me like in the kitchen, like making a giant turkey. Like you get random shit from us. It's like Kevin's like compendium of the podcast. Yeah. It's incredible. It's got like a 75% open rate. It's the best newsletter in podcasting.
3: You might see a photo of Rebecca's broken tooth. You know what it's not going to
4: have? not gonna happen. A picture of Kevin and Rebecca slow dancing at Henry's uh, show because <gasps> I ran over with my phone and you guys split apart before I could take a picture. Wow, and- oh. well, you guys were slow
2: it, dancing. Too bad you're not yeah. gonna make it to the show that's happening tomorrow because we're gonna be slow dancing again, motherfucker.
3: I
4: don't know. And right.
2: so, well, just saying, we slow dance every time. To what song? I don't senior remember. Frogs. I don't I've know. I've been
4: to the Senior Frogs. Oh, it was uh, it was killing me
3: softly, wasn't
4: That's it? That's right. The opening yeah.
2: opening part that was slow before yeah. it turned into a raucous jam. Yeah,
3: but now that I've seen Chippendales, I know how to really dance. Yes. I'm bringing my That's breakaway true. pants, bitches.
2: Yes. All right. <laughs> so, Kevin, uh, should we wrap up the business section? I
3: think it's a good time to end this. Yeah. All right.
2: Well, thanks for tolerating us, guys. I'm going to go ahead and fade that business section. let wait.
0: Wait Get my line. Thus ends the business section.
2: And thus ends the business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out. All right, so let's talk about our cast real quick. I want to talk about Murray Bartlett playing Nick DiNoya.
3: We're opening at Chippendales in New York. Excuse me? And I'm going to run it. What? And if you have a problem with that. I And if you have a problem with that, I'll open my own place. A competing club, U.S. Mail, M-A-L-E. See, that's what I've been up to the past few weeks. I've been out in New York.
2: We knew him as Armand from season one of The White Lotus. I think he is freaking awesome in this show. I think he's a bright spot, Laura Bricker. What do you think about Murray Bartlett as Nick Denoya?
5: At first I didn't recognize him I because know. he was- He's a chameleon. And I was like, who's that guy? Like He just was such a flamboyant and just kind of out there character. And then I'm like, I looked it up. I'm like, oh, oh, that's him. And this was such a different type of role for him. But I just think he played it so well. From the directing and the relationship with Juliette Lewis, who's like the costume designer, who they have like this on and off sex thing to the part that he played extremely well was then, you know, he's bisexual when he goes to, I believe it was New York and ends up having this encounter with this man. And I just felt like, first of all, I felt like this was something that this show handled really in a nice way. Like it was handled honestly, sensitively. But he played that so well. And, you know, we can complain about like the dancers didn't really have any depth. I thought this character had a lot of depth. I think so, too. And that's Andrew Rannells,
2: by the way, uh, the original cast member of Book of Mormon who sang, I believe, at the Tonys. That's how we first got to know him. But I really think that Murray Bartlett is incredible and a super duper chameleon Juliette Lewis, of course, is having her moment in the sun after being in Yellow Jackets, right, Kevin? Season two uh,
3: coming yeah. in, in March. Season Cannot two in March. Cannot
2: wait. Cannot wait. And, of course, we have the very simmering here, uh, Kamail Nanjani, who we've seen in many, many roles. He's typically a comedian. He is. He had a
3: great dramatic turn in The Big Sick, yes. which I also think he wrote. I think that was his yes. Oscar it's a, nomination. It's a true yeah, yeah.
2: story about he and his wife, The Big Sick. You know that, Yeah.
3: Right? Yeah, well, he's, he's great here. I mean, he has, like, this... Um, this nice simmering boil behind his eyes, even though he has a uh, sort of a knowing smile. I really think that he uh, he brings some real uh, acting chops of this, which you don't always see, like when you have a stand up guy playing a, a lead role like that. Excuse me? No, we are not doing it. Look, Steve. you No, you be- look. I am the boss. This is my club and you are my employee. You are
2: all my employees. Is that clear? And then, of course, we have Annalie Ashford, who we first got yeah. to know in, Masters in sex, a, She's right? a
3: good. She's an interesting pairing with him, as opposed to, like, she's a great character actress, also kind of funny. You put the two of them together, and they look a little nerdy. And I think that's sort of like what the feel they're trying to go for for that couple, as opposed to, say like a little more wild, like Murray and Juliette Lewis, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just an interesting set of cast members. That, but what's interesting to me about it and unfortunate about it is that like Toby, unlike and I know, again, this is not based on the podcast, but it's hard to not compare it with the podcast because we've seen other adaptations of things that we've watched. Unlike, say, Dr. Death, where they also assembled like this great cast of characters and actually did something with the actors. I think that Murray Bartlett is really the only actor here that they're really like using and actually doing something really stretchy with because the scenes in this show are so long and it just feels like every, every time they put these great people together doing something, it's just like, sometimes even when it starts interesting, it just sort of like goes and sort of peters. Like the pace of each scene even sort of wastes the great talent that they've even assembled here for me.
4: Yeah, you know, I just feel like the writing is so poor. Um, Yeah. You know, they may be good actors. I don't think the acting is particularly great just because there's not a whole lot for them to do. Like, I just feel there's not much, there's no nuance or or subtlety really to any of these characters. I actually, this is one of the few shows that I just found, it was just kind of boring, I thought. I thought the pacing was way, way off. Again, it's just these scenes that would just go on and on. It's just like, all right, you know, we get it. Let's move on. And then there were scenes that just didn't seem like they needed to be there. And it was kind of like, why do you have this scene in here? It's, it's like this weird thing where it felt like it was bloated. But at the same time, it also felt like kind of like a Cliff Notes version where if you could have spent that time that you spent having these long scenes of like that Phil Donahue thing, which just went on and on mm. and on to dedicate that to like a little bit more like inspection of these characters. So like you have a sense of where they're coming from or whatever, but the few times they try it, it just feels so heavy handed. Like when Steve goes back to India and he gets like kind of scolded by his mom. And then he comes back and he's like this transformed guy who's like, it's like the entire Godfather movie was like compacted into this one conversation he has with his mom. Yes. And take he goes the Velveeta, in.
5: mom. Take the Velveeta. Oh, the Velveeta was my favorite part. I thought that was, I like died. And then he brought the Velveeta home with him. Instead of just he throwing even, it away, he, no, Velveeta he didn't is leave cheap. it there. He should have Actually, left it. She would have eventually eat in the Velveeta. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That, that's,
4: that's when you leave behind.
5: Yeah, <laughs> she discovers
4: it later and thanks you.
5: Yeah, I mean it's it could last for like a thousand years. Quite and by honestly. the way, it is very good
2: in certain recipes. That Velveeta is. It it is. It is. Yeah, I I, I was
4: just surprised by how poor I thought the script was. Yeah.
2: I will say too, for a show that is making commentary about like systemic racism, like a lot of like the sort of very hackneyed and and like tropey and somewhat stereotypical stuff about him going home to India, also like did not hit well. I'm like, this isn't great. <laughs> like it just it definitely didn't feel nuanced or new. It felt very stereotypical because because to me the story of Banerjee's sort of self-loathing for you know being a person of color and being rejected and in turn seeing that like white people are more accepting of only white people and then turning that racism around like onto black people is actually a very interesting story that could have been told in a like more nuanced way and instead it's just it happens and then his wife's reaction is we are good people we don't do this, and he's just like, "I'm very sorry," and that's just sort of like where it lands.
5: Yeah, and then she's like, "I did some cocaine <laughs> while you were gone. I danced all night." <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <You know?
2: laughs> I mean, there, there's there's room for exploration there. It doesn't have to be like you know, an anvil over the head. But I mean, there's more happening there than I think they would have us believe. It's not just him being stupid. There's more there there, as as Kevin likes to say, right, Kevin? Right. But, Kevin, you do think that ambition is a big theme in the show.
3: I do think it's a big theme. Well, you start with uh, Steve. His actual first name is uh, Salmon, and he changes it to Steve because he wants to go from somebody who's been eating the expired sandwiches at the gas station to somebody who gets his uh, suits tailored so that you can see his Rolex on the sleeve. I mean, Paul and Dorothy have their ambition, Otis, and, of course, Nick. And it's all—that's their undoing, you know, as as characters— In the end, is that their ambition is what does them in. And so I think that that's, you know, whether or not they intended that to be a theme, it's certainly one here.
2: Yeah. Laura, by the way, I do want to mention you said something earlier that I want to like, like agree with you on that the bisexuality, I think, is handled really well in the show. And one of the things I think is interesting is where we are in the show right now, Juliette Lewis's reaction to Nick DeNoya's relationship with Andrew Rannell's character. There's all these like small moments where she's like kind of uncomfortable with his relationship there because clearly she has feelings for him still that are sort of like unrequited. But I do think the handling of his bisexuality is just very straightforward and really well done. And that's just not something we see very often.
5: No, I mean, even down to like the look that they have between the two men when they're kind of connecting before they... Do it. Get it on. Um, but that was authentic. I mean, I felt like it was an authentic scene. Yeah. And those are the sexiest scenes in the show. In a yeah. show
2: where there are male strippers and the whole thing should be so fucking sexy. Honestly, th- this show, I think, and that's, that's one of the things I'm disappointed about. The show should be a lot sexier than it is. This is yeah. a show about Chippendales. And like the sexiest moments we get are rare. There's there's very little sexy moments in the clubs themselves. And finally, when Nick and Andrew Rannells get together, what was Andrew Rannells character's name? I'm sorry, I, I keep Bradford. Talking, Bradford. I'm like, finally, some sexiness. This is so <laughs> exciting. <laughs> and that's like episode five or whatever.
5: You're living vicariously through the two men. Correct.
2: Yeah. Finally, and then the, and the women are like screaming at these men, and I'm like, what are you screaming at? Like their beat the dance moves aren't that great yet.
3: No. Laura also found in other things, you're right, that uh, one of the other themes is jealousy. And it's very obvious between Steve and, and Nick, but also, you're right, uh, Denise and uh, Nick. She, well, I mean, she's yeah. kind of jealous of uh, Bradford, actually. Yeah. But, but that, yeah, that, you know, vying for people's attention is uh, another theme.
2: That's right. So, one thing that I want to mention, Toby, we're getting to the point where uh, Ray is obviously becoming a loyal soldier to Steve. And we see that escalate, and you didn't buy his escalating loyalty to Steve Banerjee, right?
4: I don't. I think it's not very well written. And I think the scene at the end of episode four, where he like literally gets on his knees and like kisses his hand or something.
5: Oh, that was strange. It's
4: just while Steve like has this look of soaking in the power or something, it was just not
3: good. No matter what. Shady scheming bullshit is going down. There's always one person who'll have you back. I recall. I kneel before you today, offering my everlasting loyalty.
4: So yeah, I mean, I, I think that whole that whole bit, and I don't know if that's supposed to be like a stand-in for a whole bunch of other people who are kissing his ass and making him feel big, but it doesn't work for me.
0: Hmm.
2: All right, well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the series, Welcome to Chippendales on Hulu? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Welcome to Chippendales?
5: You can watch like the first episode. That's where I thought I was gonna like this show. And I feel like it really missed an opportunity. So I am a thumbs down. I feel like the pacing and the writing were just not what they could have been. And it dropped the ball in that area. The Chippendales guys weren't as sexy as they could have been. And I'm going to say the best thing I learned in this show was I did not know the origin of the Chippendales name, the 18th century British cabinet maker, Thomas Chippendale. Most interesting thing I learned in this show. So (laughs) listen to the podcast about Chippendales. Maybe watch the first episode of this, but don't waste your time with the rest of it. Terry Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Welcome
2: to Chippendales?
4: Yeah, I'm a thumbs down. I found it boring which I wouldn't have thought that a story about Chippendales would be, but there you go. Uh, I don't think the writing was very good. Like Laura said, the pacing was off. They've got a group of very good actors, but their roles are just, there's not enough there in the roles. It feels like they're playing, you know, they're just like these broadly drawn people that you can kind of throw themes on. So, yeah, I just, I was really surprised. I thought this would be better, but it's not. So a thumbs down.
3: Kevin Flynn Yeah I'm actually on thumbs up. I think the story's fun. It is a little cheeky, so to speak. They still haven't kind of telegraphed like where the crime story in this is going. You know that there's actually a crime storyline to it as we are, you know, 5 episodes into this 8 episode series now. We're starting to see some characters break bad. But I, I think that in the end, that might become, come as a surprise to some listeners who aren't familiar with the tale. But even though I'm, I can't disagree with what Lara and Toby have said about the way that, you know, this hasn't really sung as far as uh, a script goes. But I'm still OK with it. I still think it's a fun watch. So I'm an up.
2: Um, I initially liked the show and then it got worse for me. Um, so I have to do thumbs down too. Although I will say I only started liking it a little bit again when Nick left Steve and then we got to see more Nick on his own and then Andrew Reynolds entered the scene. So there are pockets of the show that I like. They have to do a lot with Murray Bartlett and just him being in it and him just acting the fuck out of those scenes. So I just don't like enough of it in the aggregate for it to be a thumbs up or even a thumbs sideways. I really thought at the beginning that I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And then it just started spiraling for me. And like Toby, I found myself becoming increasingly bored, which one should not be with a show that centers a bunch of naked men dancing and titillating women. (laughs) If it shouldn't be anything, even if it's cheesy, it should not be boring, right? Right. This is a dramatic story in which a lot of shit happens. But even if that part's not well done, when there's like stuff flying around and women screaming, it shouldn't be boring. And I did find myself leaving the room to make drinks, leaving the room to go to the bathroom and just telling Kevin, like, just let it play. I can still hear it from the kitchen. That's telling. And that to me is a thumbs down. All right. So now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call The crime Crime of of the week. week. This month, firefighters in Iowa rushed to a call at a canine daycare center. The fire alarm had been pulled by a golden retriever. Woof! Bertie was so excited to arrive at Dogwood's Lodge that he leapt up on his hind legs, pawed at the wall, and pulled down on the alarm lever. The crews responded, saw it was a false alarm, and went on their way. Later, the staff posted a photo of Bertie on Facebook. He was wearing a sign apologizing to the fire department for pulling the alarm. One look at his sad eyes and the fireman said, all was forgiven. However, Bertie's owner thinks the dog isn't the least bit sorry. Ever since their new baby arrived home, their golden has been looking for more attention. She said that while other dogs were freaking out because of the alarm, Bertie sat quietly enjoying the scene. Panel, who hasn't pulled a fire alarm at
5: school or camp? What trouble will this rambunctious pupper get into next? Lara Bricker, what do you think? I think he is going to figure out how to sort of hotwire. You know that thing you can watch your dogs remotely on a little camera and yeah. give them a treat? Yeah. yeah. I think he's going to figure out how to hotwire that thing. Ah. And just get treats just shooting at him and like get, a fan Yeah, all just day. be like, it's going to be like, woo, it's going to be, he's going to be rolling in the treats.
2: By the way, we have one of those and we can't use it anymore because, oh. um, yeah, Stuart gets really nervous around it. So if anyone oh, out there Stuart. is really interested in having one of those... Send me an email. I'd be happy to send it to you.
5: Can I do it for my cats? Sure. I'll send it it to you, Lar Bricker. Awesome.
2: (laughs) Uh, Toby Ball, what about you? Uh, What do you think this rambunctious pupper trouble is going to get into next?
4: He's probably going to take a uh, dump in a paper bag and set it on fire.
2: Mm, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Flynn, what do you think? Panty Ray. Well, that's, that's, that does not sound out of character <laughs> for a dog. They do like them some panties, right? Yeah. They do. It's disgusting. That's the thing that dogs like. It's gross. All right. That's probably going to do it for us. Definitely, for sure. Lara Bricker, folks want to reach out to you on social media and say hello. How can they find you there?
5: They can find me at Lara Bricker. I'm still waiting for that armadillo of the week. Yes, and by the way, those were guinea pigs
2: last time. FYI,
5: (laughs) Uh, I looked at that picture; still looked pretty fucked up, though. (laughs)
2: That one had a little bald spot in its face. (laughs) Laura, sorry, Laura. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on social media. How can they find you there?
4: At Toby Ball and H.
2: Kevin Flynn, how can you be found? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at RebLavoy. Follow the show at Crime Writers On and please join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to Facebook, look for Crime Writers On. You'll see our page, hit join the group, we'll let you in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get all the content we have back there. Our theme song is composed and performed by Ty Gibbons, Our line editor is the wonderful Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement, where Kevin is creating his own calendar of him in baby oil and breakaway pants.
3: I'm Mr. May.
2: On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. In our New Hampshire basement where Kevin is creating his own calendar of him in baby oil and breakaway pants. I'm
3: Mr. May.
2: On behalf of all the crime May writers.
3: I on your back.
2: Oh my god. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> on behalf of all <laughs> Seriously, Kevin?
0: Seriously. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> all right. <laughs>